If you like powerful D&D characters who are also fun, and dare I say funny, or if you find yourself curious to know just how far you might be able to push an enemy into the air in a single round of combat so that you could watch them plummet to their doom afterwards, then this video is for you. Welcome to D4. Hi everybody. So here at D4, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, character builds for our favorite TTRPGs. We theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way even to build and play a character, but with the intent to create something that is both really fun, but also really powerful to play in-game. So if you enjoy creating characters for your role-playing games, almost as much as you enjoy actually playing the game itself. Or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on building something that you've been thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong. I am so glad you're here, so thanks for being here. My name's Colby. Really quick before we get started, if you would be interested in getting a written step-by-step -step, like cheat sheet so that you could recreate this character yourself without having to go back and rewatch the video or take notes, or if you're just looking for an additional way to give a little love to me and the channel, then I would really appreciate it if you would consider joining the channel as a member. There should be a little button down there somewhere that says join. For just $2 a month, you get access to the library of write-ups that I create for each and every one of these characters that can potentially save you time, like I say, if you want to recreate them. So I just want to give a big shout out to my channel members. You guys are amazing. Thanks so much for all of your support. And for everybody else, you are also amazing. Just being here, watching, liking, subscribing, commenting. These are all also fantastic ways to support the channel. So thank you. All right. So longtime viewers of my channel know that some of my very favorite builds of all time are the ones that are a little weird. The Pokemon trainer who could only make attacks via their pets, the Thornlock who could only do damage when enemies hit them, or about a year ago, the Dive Bomber, which for those who didn't see it was like a crazy rogue druid Aracocra who would grapple an enemy, then fly with them into the air and drop them. That was actually a lot of fun. Along those lines, a while back, one of my viewers asked me to do a build where you'd play a halfling who would run underneath an enemy and blast them into the air as high as possible, making them take damage both for the attacks and then for falling back to the ground afterwards. The idea, of course, being that as a halfling, you can move through enemy spaces so long as they're not larger than you. And since halflings are small, that should cover most enemies that you'd face in D&D. I loved the idea and immediately put it at the top of my to-do list, right? Forgetting, unfortunately, about the little bit in the player's handbook that states whether a creature is an enemy or a friend, you can't willingly end your move in its space. Jeremy Crawford himself even confirmed that the intent of this rule is to not allow you to stop moving in another creature's space and make attacks. Check out the tweet right there if you're skeptical. And while being a halfling does allow you to move through enemy spaces, it doesn't say anything about being able to end your movement there and thus counter that rule, right? Very sad, I put the idea on the back burner determined to find a way to make at least the concept work sometime because it sounded like a ton of fun. Well, today is the day that I present my solution. I think I figured it out. And the best part is that unlike a lot of those 
kind of weird and out there builds that I've done in the past, I don't think you're gonna need a lot of buy-in from your DM to make this build work. The only thing that's going to be able to stop you from taking full advantage of this build is the size of the room that you're fighting in. The sky is literally the limit here, or I suppose more accurately, the ceiling. Now, we're gonna be building this character for burst damage because more than anything, I was really curious to find out just how high I might be able to push an enemy into the air on a single turn. So we'll be blowing as many resources as we can to get them just as high as possible. So that's it. That's the end of the preamble. I know it's kind of a short one today. I am very proud to present D&D episode 129, The Catapult. Check out this fantastic artwork by my good friend Randall Hampton. I love the concepts that he comes up with for these characters each and every week. He's fantastic. And I mentioned this last week, and I will be for the next couple of weeks. He is doing a Kickstarter right now for his little game master, kid-friendly, family-friendly TTRPG. I think it would be awesome if you would check it out and back it. I will put links in the video description, as always, on both how to follow him on social media, but also how to get to that Kickstarter and potentially back it. Thanks, Randall. Good luck. And before we jump into the build, I have got to tell you guys about a new sponsor for the video this week that is actually super cool and really unique compared to the other companies that I've had sponsor the channel to date. It's a company called RPG Wanderer who just launched their Kickstarter for their dark fantasy GM-less RPG adventure called Tides of Merkport. Okay. Check this out. This game is browser-based and sort of a cross between like a choose-your-own-adventure book and a classical tactical RPG like Baldur's Gate or Fallout. It's based on the 5e rule set and is a text-based adventure, so it's narrative-heavy with a story that changes drastically based on every choice that you make along the way. But when I say text-based, I'm not talking like the old muds, right? The game is enhanced with some really beautiful art, music, and combat happens in a VTT-like environment. And yes, just like in D&D, you level up, can improve your equipment, find magic items, etc., etc. You build your party from either a pre-selection of 12 different characters, or better yet, can import your own directly from D&D Beyond. Holy cow, I could take all 129 of my character creations into game without needing a GM to build an adventure for me? Sign me up. And yes, you can fully manage your characters in-game via their character sheets. There's even an in-game journal for you to keep track of your adventure notes yourself. And maybe my favorite part is this. You can play the game by yourself or soon will be able to invite up to three friends and play a co-op. There are even in-game tutorials available if any of those friends that you've invited are new to D&D. So for those of you who are forever DMs and wish you could just play once in a while, or for those who maybe don't have a big enough group to play a full game of D&D, maybe you got a couple of you or three of you, or you want a solo adventure, or you just want to get together with friends and have the D&D experience without anybody having to worry about prep time or DMing a campaign, you should absolutely check out Tides of Merkport because 
guess what? Chapter one of the game is available completely for free, with more episodes being released monthly. To check out the Kickstarter, go to this URL right here. I will link it in the video description as well, of course, and back this project. It looks like a ton of fun, and you can tell that the creators have really put a ton of love and heart into this game. I have a great feeling about these guys. So, Big thanks to RPG Wanderer. Good luck with the Kickstarter. I'm confident that you guys are gonna smash your goals. And let's jump into the build. All right, at level one. Since we are going for burst damage here, as I have said, you may have already guessed that it will behoove us to take some fighter levels. And very often, if I'm going to take fighter levels on a character, I like to start the character as a fighter. Primarily because I like the proficiencies that fighters start with, constitution saving throws for better concentration checks, of course, but also weapons, armor, shields. I also feel like it's a little bit easier to make sense out of a character's story arc when multiclassing comes into play if they start with something more simple like a fighter and then move into other more exotic classes. Like you're kind of vanilla at first, but then something happens that changes the trajectory of your character's story and development kind of thing. So yes, when we first meet our champion, they are a humble fighter. I'd guess a soldier or guard or mercenary of some kind who's put special care into being a fine marksman with either their handy firearm, if that's allowed at your table, or if not, their handy crossbow. As for our starting race, yeah, I'm taking custom lineage. You go another route if you really want to, but I have to say, while I understand people getting antsy about variant human and me using it all the time, because who wants to play a human all the time? The beauty, as I've said in the past, of custom lineage is the fact that with this selection, you can kind of be whatever you want, right? Make a half-elf, half-dwarf if you want, or heck, how about a half-plasmoid, half-tabaxi? Can plasmoids mate with non-plasmoids and produce viable offspring? Don't answer that question. Definitely do not Google it. <laughs> anyway, have fun with your character's race here and let it fit whatever concept you want to create for them. Mechanically, of course, we're here primarily for the free feat that we get as a custom lineage character because we need two feats to really pull this concept off to the best of our ability, I think. As for what that free feat should be, I'm going to want to take either gunner or crossbow expert. Firearms are not allowed at every table and even if they are, not all DMs would let your character start at level one with a firearm and honestly we're not even going to be using weapons past level two on this character so if you can't get away with a firearm of some sort right here at the beginning i'd probably go crossbow expert instead it actually would let us do more damage for the first two levels of our character than gunner would because crossbow expert lets you wield a hand crossbow and then when you make an attack with it, get another attack that same round as a bonus action, right? That's what the feat does. Gunner's advantage is that it gives us a plus one to dexterity, which I prefer since, like I said, I'm not planning on using weapons on this character after level two. The main reason we want either of these feats is because both of them tell us that when we make ranged attacks while within five feet of an enemy, we don't have disadvantage like we otherwise would. And 
that's kind of a big deal for us, but we're not gonna get into it until later. As for our starting ability scores, I'm going to assume that we're going the point by method as always, and would recommend taking a 15 charisma and then a plus two from our racial bonus there, a 15 constitution, a 13 dexterity, and then I'm assuming we've got gunner here, so taking a plus one there, and then a 12 wisdom. And that's really the only benefit to getting a plus one to dex from gunner, is that it lets us get to a 14 on our dexterity score, which is nice for initiative, for armor class, and even for our damage early on. And then have enough points left over to bump our wisdom to 12 at least instead of 10, which is nice for perception checks, wisdom saving throws, etc. Again, not a huge deal either way. As for our starting equipment, I'd recommend going with the gold buy method as I very often do and grabbing some scale mail, armor, a shield, and then either a pistol if your DM will allow it, and I mean, heck, even see if they'll let you just get a weaker homebrewed firearm if possible. Maybe something that only does a D8 or a D6 of damage, for example. It's just a teeny little pistol. Pew pew. But if that's not a possibility, grab a hand crossbow and be happy. We're not gonna plan on using that shield that we got at the moment, since regardless of the weapon that you're using, you're going to need a free hand to load it, but we will make use of that shield once we stop using our weapon in combat by level three. So, as a fighter, at level one, we get second wind, of course, which tells us that once per short rest, we can use a bonus action to heal ourselves for a d10 plus our fighter level, an always welcome heal. And then we also get a fighting style. And while we definitely want to take the archery fighting style if we were planning on sticking with our ranged weapon. I suppose that I would probably just grab defense here instead to raise our AC by one, and yeah, more survivability, always a good thing. At level two, we get the main reason that we wanted to go fighter on this build, of course, action surge. So now, once per short rest, we can take two actions instead of one, and that gives us a solid foundation to lay down some nice burst damage. But at level three, something happens to our character to change the direction that they thought their life was headed. We have perhaps found a magical artifact along the way in our adventures, or it might even be a family heirloom that we have long carried with us, a ring, maybe an amulet, or perhaps a lamp. Having been told by a family member that it contained magical properties or even a magical creature within, but we always laughed those stories off as superstitious nonsense, until now. When something has awoken from within that artifact to offer us their patronage, because yes, whatever your reasons, we are taking levels in Warlock now. And as such, at Warlock 1, we get our otherworldly patron, our Warlock subclass. And in case it wasn't obvious, we're taking my favorite, the Genie patron. Genies are seriously just the best. They get so many amazing features. First up, we have to choose our genie kind from a short list, the Dao, the Jin, the Ifriti, or the Marid. 
think I'm pronouncing that right. And we are going to take DAO as we so often do. This is super important for our build, but we'll discuss why in a second. We also get the Genie's Vessel feature, which actually does two things for us. First, we get the Bottled Respite or Respite ability, which lets us once per day vanish into our vessel for two times our proficiency bonus, which is four hours for now. Not quite enough time to take a long rest currently, but short rest, sure, and still allowing you all kinds of utility and hijinks. Not to mention a free 20 by 20 foot space to store all of your loot. More importantly, though, for us, we get the Genie's Wrath ability, which tells us that once on each of our turns, when we hit with an attack roll, not a weapon attack roll, mind you, and that's important, we can deal extra damage to the creature equal to our proficiency bonus. The type of damage we do here is determined by our patron, and since we chose Dao, that means the damage is bludgeoning, and yes, this is very important for us. We also get spells at Warlock 1, and while there are plenty that I would love to have, especially ones unique to Warlocks like Armor of Agathis for some nice temporary hit points as well as an opportunity to return damage to melee attackers, the ones we need to make sure to grab for this build are Eldritch Blast and Hex. Eldritch Blast is that most powerful of cantrips in D&D 5e, as long as you build for it, and we are. That has us make a spell attack against an enemy within 120 feet. I really appreciate that range, especially on this build. And if we hit, we do a 1d10 force damage to them. Pretty straightforward, but the best part about it, of course, is that when it scales up at higher levels like all cantrips do, instead of just doing more damage, it actually fires more beams. And this is the thing that makes it so potentially potent as a cantrip. But more on that later. Hex, I want to take two. It's easy. It's useful. You cast it as a bonus action. It requires our concentration. And when you put it on a target, they have now disadvantage on an ability check with an ability of your choice, first off. And then every time you hit that enemy with an attack, again, not necessarily a weapon attack, you do an extra d6 of necrotic damage every single time every hit. It lasts for an hour, and you can even upcast it to last for longer if you want, preserving your spell slots quite nicely actually, which is a great thing since warlocks have so few of them. Though we do get a second one, at least, at level 4, as we would be a warlock 2, and you know, two spell slots per short rest is a pretty nice bit of reusable magic, honestly. I'm trying to think of things as a glass half full here, okay? More importantly though, at Warlock 2 we get Eldritch Invocations, and these are just my favorite. Probably my favorite thing about Warlocks. They enhance our spells and abilities in a variety of ways, and for now we get to pick two of them. And the ones that we pretty much have to get, I think, for this build are Agonizing Blast, which lets us add our Charisma modifier in damage to our Eldritch Blast beams, and yes, that's every beam, once we've got multiple beams going, and then Repelling Blast, which lets us push a creature 10 feet away from us in a straight line, and the wording there is kind of important. Again, we're going to discuss more later, but yes, this is the main thing that we're going to be using to launch our target into the air. And the beautiful thing about it is that, again, it works on every single beam of Eldritch Blast that we hit the enemy with. Also important to note, there is no size limit on the movement we force on the enemy here. Oftentimes, when we're able to push or pull an enemy, right, we will read things like, 
so long as the creature is large size or smaller or something. Not so with Repelling Blast. It doesn't have to work within the laws of physics. It's magic. At level five, we would be a Warlock three, and that means that our patron grants us a Pact Boon. My favorite Pact Boon, when I'm not playing with a Hexblade at least, is Pact of the Chain, because I love invisible familiars. And yeah, Pact of the Chain lets us summon a familiar a la the Wizard's Find Familiar spell, but gives us an expanded list of potential familiars that we can summon, and they are more powerful than what the regular spell gives access to. Most notably, the Imp, Sprite, and Quasit can go invisible, and this invisibility is not broken when the familiar takes the help action, which is what I assume we'd be doing with our familiar in combat. To give us advantage on one attack at least on our turn, and still stay relatively safe while doing so, since that familiar is typically not going to be seen helping us out. I'd say give him a feather and have him rub it under your target's nose. Or yeah, pinch the bum. That's always fun. We also get second level warlock spells here, and while there are plenty of good and useful ones to choose from, I'm not planning on using any of them in combat, so I'm just gonna say pick your favorite, PYF. Dao genies do get access to spike growth, so you could take that to create a nice hazard on the battlefield, and or do some cheese grating if you want, like we did with that Sorlock cheese grater a while ago. It can be a super effective tactic, but you know, we kinda already did that, and and we are launching stuff into the sky with this build, not rubbing them raw through a briar patch. That said, spike growth would be a nice backup option to pull out when fighting in like low ceilinged rooms, right? But other than that, yeah, sure, you could also grab darkness and use the old darkness plus devil sight trick to get advantage on all of your attacks, since the enemy couldn't see you, but you could see them. But yeah, that can be super disruptive for both your allies and your enemies. So. Definitely use that one with caution, and right now we don't have the invocations to grab Devil Sight if we want to get Repelling Blast and Agonizing Blast, right? Suggestion and Hold Person are also great control options for spells here, but since everything that I've mentioned thus far uses your concentration, I'm just going to assume that we're still using Hex when I crunch the numbers. Very importantly, don't forget that at character level 5, doesn't have to be Warlock level 5, Eldritch Blast starts firing two beams every time we use it. Very good. At level six, we would be a Warlock four, and that means we get our first ability score increase, or feat. And I'm going to take the thing that many of you have probably been anticipating here, Crusher. Okay, so with Crusher, first of all, we can bump our constitution by one, giving us a nice round 16, which will stop me from losing sleep every night. But then it also tells us that once per turn, when we hit a creature with an attack that deals bludgeoning damage, we can move it five feet to an unoccupied space, so long as the target is no more than one size larger than us. There's that verbiage that I was talking about earlier. Okay, let's dig into the wording here because it's really important. First of all, again, we simply have to hit them with an attack, not a weapon attack. So Eldritch Blast qualifies, and yes, since we get to apply bludgeoning damage thanks to our Dao Genie patron to an attack once per turn, we can make this happen with an Eldritch Blast attack and activate Crusher, right? Also, importantly, the feat tells us that we can move the enemy into an unoccupied space. It makes no further qualifications there, so it could be forward, backward, left, right, diagonal, or most importantly, up. 
into the air. Unless your DM decides that they're going to go against rules as written here, which to be fair is entirely within their purview to do, there's no reason why you couldn't hit your enemy with an Eldritch Blast attack, apply bludgeoning damage from Dao, and then thanks to the Crusher feat, launch them, them airborne. airborne. Triant Monk actually did this trick way back in our very first collaboration video, The Rune Knight, and I think I'm out of cards now, so that was fast. Anyway, this little trick is kind of the crux upon which the entire build and concept for this character works. We need to get the enemy into the air and we can't get into their space underneath them and shoot up. But Repelling Blast says that the enemy is pushed in a straight line directly away from us. So unless we can be lower than the enemy, it's only going to push them along the ground, right? Not anymore. All right, so at level six, it's time for our first damage report. Let's get into the nitty gritty of what our Nova round is going to look like, including the setup. On round one, we would simply hex our target with a bonus action and fire off a couple of Eldritch Blasts. Round two, is when we go Nova. First off, we've got to run up so that we're right next to the target. This is important to give us the proper angle of trajectory. We then would fire our first Eldritch Blast Beam with advantage, thanks to our invisible familiar, right? And we do not have disadvantage thanks to either the crossbow expert feat or the gunner feat that we took. If we hit, we apply the bludgeoning damage from our Genie's Wrath feature, and then, because we hit them with bludgeoning damage, we lift them five feet into the air. Now, the enemy is five feet above us, and yes, we want to be right next to them. That's why we had to take Gunner or Crossbow Expert, because see, if we were standing 10 or 20 feet away from the enemy when we first launched them into the air, subsequent attacks that we made on our turn would push them at like a flatter trajectory, right? Not as high. The angle would not be as steep because they're pushed in a straight line directly away from us. But if we are exactly diagonal to them on a vertical grid, pushing them 10 feet away with subsequent blasts of Eldritch Blast, lets us push them directly two squares up and two squares over with each blast, thanks to how diagonal movement on a grid works in D&D. In that case, very much in our favor, meaning that we can actually get them almost just as high into the air as we would have been able to had we been allowed to slide directly underneath them and start firing straight up. And that is awesome. So yes, we raise them five feet up with our first attack, then the second attack pushes them 10, up, 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 up and, away. and away. We then action surge and fire two more beams, hopefully pushing them 20 feet higher and further, meaning that by the end of our Nova round, they would potentially be 35 feet into the air. And assuming they can't fly or hover, would immediately fall to the ground, taking a d6 of damage for every 10 feet fallen, or 3d6 at this point. So altogether, we would be doing a d10 for the blast, plus a d6 for hex, plus three for our charisma modifier on all four blasts, plus our proficiency bonus one time for Genie's Wrath, plus 3d6 falling damage for a grand total of 4d10 plus 7d6 plus 15 if every attack landed. And thus, against enemies with a 10 armor class, we would do on average here 58 damage during our Nova round, and against enemies with a 15 armor class, it would be 45 damage. And okay, that's good, not great. 
Compared to other burst damage builds that I've done to date at this level, it's kind of bottom half of tier 2 or maybe even upper half of tier 3. But I will say that the sustained damage that they do is better than most of those Nova builds thanks to the bit of falling damage they'll be hitting the enemy with in addition to Hex. And this is something that you could repeat every single round, right? You wouldn't get them as far, of course, but they'd take a little bit of falling damage. But yes, we are going to be doing lots of stuff to make this even better. So let's see where we can take it from here now that we've got our core concept completed. At level 7, yeah, we've got one more stop to make on our multi-class train to pick up another really important ability to stretch our Nova damage as far as we possibly can. And I actually also appreciate that doing this is going to give us some additional utility and support capability as well. So I want to take Sorcerer levels here. and. You know, I'm not sure that I necessarily feel a need to have a great story reason for doing so, if I'm being honest. To me, it makes a lot of sense to just think of this as like my patron imbuing me with additional power. Maybe not so much lending me their own power as actually infusing me with some of it. So now it is a part of my body and soul. And maybe this could be just considered as like a greater boon from our Tao after having proved ourselves to them somehow or accomplished some great task that they had given us, I think. Or maybe we just discovered that we were actually descended from a divine being, because yes, as a sorcerer one, we get our subclass, our sorcerer's origin, and I would want to go divine soul. I don't see taking this subclass as strictly necessary. I think taking the opposite path almost and going shadow sorcerer would also work great, and it might fit better with your concept and character story. But divine soul felt the easiest for me from a character concept perspective, but also I just really love the way that it opens up the character to greater variety of things they can do for the party. Because as a divine soul sorcerer, we get the divine magic feature, which basically gives us access to both the sorcerer spell list and the cleric spell list. And that's just kind of amazing, really. Having a character who can deal loads of damage and support, buff, and heal is just infinitely useful, fun, and powerful. But probably the main reason I wanted to go Divine Soul is for the Favored by the Gods feature that they get, which tells us that once per short rest, we can add 2d4 to a failed attack or save. And while sure, a smart person would probably save this for a super important saving throw that they failed, I would of course want to use it for a missed attack. Especially that first attack that we get on our Nova round as knocking our enemy into the air right at the beginning is huge to set up our catapultastic launching of them into the stratosphere. As for the spells we take at Sorcerer 1, I'd be sure to grab Guidance, Bless, and Healing Word from the Cleric spell list to give us some nice support, utility, buffing, and healing options. And you know, in fact, the Bless spell might very well take the place of Hex for us, at least against like really high enemy armor classes, or if you just wanted to be a super friend to all of your allies, assuming that nobody else in the party is casting Bless, right? Beyond that, the only ones that I really want to make sure that we have from the Sorcerer list itself are shield and absorb elements for some additional defensive capabilities. I mean, I guess, sure, you could take Silvery Barbs too, because A, it's a really great way to help ensure that an enemy fails an attack or save or ability check, and B, 
There's no way that the Silvery Barbs mob would even find me now that I've changed locations. Right? Seriously, half the reason I left my old office was to get away from that mob. At level 8, we would be a Sorcerer 2, and that means we get Font of Magic, which is basically just our sorcery points, right? We get one point for each of our sorcerer levels, we recover those sorcery points on a long rest, and for now we can just use them to create additional spell slots. Of course, we can convert spell slots into more sorcery points, but why would we want to do that at the moment without any metamagic options to spend them on? But at level 9, we would be a sorcerer 3, and that's when we get those metamagic options, and Yes, I love metamagic, maybe my favorite thing about being a sorcerer, and we get to choose two of them currently. The two that I would recommend for this build are Old Reliable, Quicken Spell, which lets us spend two sorcery points to cast a spell with a casting time of one action as a bonus action instead, and then Seeking Spell, which lets us also spend two more sorcery points to reroll the d20 on a missed attack spell. We don't have enough points to even do both of those things on the same spell at the moment, but I think it would be a good option to have on hand just in case we need to pull it out, especially for that first attack when we're trying to knock the enemy into the air. We also get second level sorcerer and cleric spells here, and there are a ton of fantastic spells that I'd love to have with access to both of those spell lists. Aid and Lesser Restoration are always great to have on hand for support. Spiritual Weapon is a fantastic cleric spell that can add to your sustained damage if you want it. Vortex Warp is some fantastic utility to move people around the battlefield, and I mean that's kind of our thing, so I think I'd definitely get that here. Web is fantastic control, but the one that I'd say that we really just have to have is Enlarge Reduce. Why? Simple. It can potentially make us grow up to large size, and though it requires our concentration, it would thus let us knock an enemy into the air with the crusher feet if they were huge sized, since crusher only works if the enemy is no more than one size larger than us, right? That would be a good one to keep in your back pocket just in case. Though, to be fair, the extra d6 of damage we'd get from having them fall 10 feet for every Eldritch Blast is the same as the extra d6 of damage we would deal with the Hex spell, so maybe you should just stick with Hex. But hey, having them take falling damage also knocks them prone, which is something I haven't really mentioned until now. And also, we're pushing them both up and away, so there's some nice control involved too. Meaning that this tactic could potentially do nice things for the entire party, giving advantage for your melee allies against the enemy if they don't already have it, and or keeping the enemy out of combat for a round potentially. So yeah, I'd say go ahead and hold on to Enlarge Reduce just in case. Alright, at level 9 it is time for our next damage report. Since last time we checked, we've picked up Quicken Spell, which means that yes, during our Nova round we would first Quicken Eldritch Blast, ideally knocking them up and then knocking them up and back. Then, with our action, we'd Eldritch Blast for a couple more pushes now that we've achieved liftoff. Then, we hit the Afterburners with Action Surge to hit them with two more blasts. And it's just so much fun. 
We've also picked up some ways to potentially add accuracy to our attacks via Favored by the Gods and Seeking Spell, and I'm going to assume that we're just getting that plus 2d4 to hit on the very first attack since it's kind of the most important one. And we've even picked up some nice support capabilities to boot. And thus, against an enemy with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do 90 damage during our Nova round. And against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it would be 67 damage. And compared to other burst damage builds that I've done to date at this level, that's again kind of in the bottom half of tier two or maybe upper half of tier three, kind of the same place. But again, we're still doing better sustained damage than most of them and definitely laughing a lot more at our enemy's plight than any of them. We are sending these fools 55 feet into the air. So awesome. Not to mention that we're now super well-rounded thanks to our stellar survivability and minor support capabilities. At level 10, we would be a sorcerer four, and that means we get another ability score increase or feat. And we have been sitting on a 17 charisma for five million years. We seriously need to get that up to 18. So what's your favorite feat that would give you a plus one to charisma? Normally, I think I would say Fey Touched since it gives us the Misty Step spell plus another first level spell from the Enchantment or Divination schools, each of which we could cast once per day for free. But at this point, level 10, there's no way I don't already have Misty Step. I would have taken that right at Borlock 3, right? And I think I've got access to all the first level enchantment or divination spells I would want to and like the same goes for shadow touched really so I think in that case I probably take telekinetic here which lets me learn the mage hand cantrip and lets me telekinetically shove one creature five feet towards or away from me as a bonus action. Enemies, of course, get to make a strength saving throw against it, but it can definitely be useful to get allies where they need to be. Also, this can add just a bit to our sustained damage outside of our Nova round. See, we can always knock an enemy five feet into the air on every single turn, thanks to the way that Dao Genie's Wrath works with Crusher. And we can always push them another 10 feet into the air diagonally from that point with each Eldritch Blast we shoot, thanks to Repelling Blast. But right now, outside of our Nova round, we'd end our turn with the enemy 15 feet in the air, right? Five for the first hit that applies Crusher. 10 for the second blast, right? And 15 feet means they're only taking a d6 of falling damage because it doesn't round up to 20 feet in 2d6, right? Well, with telekinetic, at least we could bump them five more feet with our bonus action to get them to 20 feet in the air and then add an extra d6 of damage as a result. It's not a ton, but if you've got nothing else to do with your bonus action, it's not nothing either. Plus, Taking Telekinetic gets our Charisma to 18 while we were at it, and let us pick up some nice potential utility or support functionality to boot. It's a great feat, especially for a character like us who's kind of already all about moving people around when we want, right? At level 11, though, I think it might be time to leave Sorcerer behind. You could keep going, of course. I mean, third level Sorcerer and Cleric spells are both great. And if you didn't have a dedicated support character in your party, I think I'd for sure go that route. Assuming you do, though, and you don't have a massive need for, like, a fireballer, I want to do some things to help us bump our damage just a bit, as well as increase our ability to catapult whoever we want into the air regardless of their size. And that means for now, going back to fighter for just a minute. So we'd be a fighter three. And 
at Fighter 3, we get our Fighter Archetype, our Fighter Subclass, and yeah, I'd want to go Rune Knight. For one main reason, of course, and that's to get the Giant's Might feature, which lets us, proficiency bonus times per day, grow in size to large for one minute as a bonus action. Now we wouldn't need the enlarge reduce spell if we wanted to lift huge enemies, but if we used Giant's Might first and then cast enlarge on ourselves, of course, we would be huge and could even catapult gargantuan enemies into the air. And that's just kind of awesome. You wouldn't have to go this route, of course. You might not be worried about creature size as much as I am. Why am I always so worried about size? And in that case, sure, go ahead and go back to Warlock, I think, instead of taking some fighter levels. But if I'm going to build around a concept or a shtick, I want to make sure it works as often as possible. Unfortunately, we don't get any extra damage from Giant's Might. It gives an extra d6 of damage once per turn, but only with weapon attacks or unarmed strikes, not spell attacks. Ah oh well. We also get the Rune Carver feature here, of course, which gives us two magic runes that we can invoke once per short rest each, and that means that we get the amazing and gorgeous cloud rune, which is like one of my favorite things in all of D&D 5e, I think. It lets us use our reaction to cause an attack made from one creature, typically an enemy of course, to target another creature instead of the one they actually targeted. Amazing for defense and offense, causing a big hit from a bad guy on yourself or an ally to instead do big damage to another enemy, right? So fun. As for the second rune, I think I'd probably take stone rune on this build, which I don't know that I've ever done before. It lets us use our reaction to try and charm a creature, incapacitating them if they fail their wisdom save. And that's some pretty nice control, honestly. It would definitely be a fun and useful thing to pull off in a fight once in a while. Don't forget, Eldritch Blast um, does scale up to three beams now at character level 11, and that is really the most important thing that we can get at level 11. That's a 50% increase in beams, and it makes us super duper happy. At level 12, I think think I go one more level in fighter just to pick up that ability score increase or feat so that we can cap our charisma at 20 finally, which has been a long time coming. But then yes, at level 13, I think we should go back to warlock again. We could stay sorcerer for all those fantastic spells, not to mention to get more sorcery points, but I just love the genie features so much. Plus, there are some really strong warlock spells waiting for us to boot and Maybe more importantly, more invocations here as a Warlock 5. You know, we get a third invocation, and there are a lot of fun and useful ones to consider to give us added utility or survivability, but the one I'll mention is, yes, the dreaded and probably overused Devil's Sight, which, as we've kind of talked about, would allow us to see in both magical and non-magical darkness, and thus, yes, have advantage on an enemy who could not see us if they or we were in the darkness spell. Yes, this can be a big burden for your team. No, I'm not going to assume that you're just using it, but yes, I do think you should consider doing so, depending on the situation. And honestly, how amazing would it be to cast darkness on an enemy on round one, and then on round two just launch what to everyone else would look like this just 30-foot bubble of magical darkness 85 feet into the air on our turn to see it crash on the other side of the battlefield. Answer? So amazing. And there is actually an enemy AC at which we would be better off having advantage on our attacks, 
thanks to Darkness and Devil Sight, over an extra d6 of damage per attack via Hex. And we'd have to choose one or the other, right, since both Darkness and Hex require a concentration. I'll mention it in the next damage report and track it on the spreadsheet so that you'll know at what point it might be more advantageous to get advantage. And then, yes, we do get third level Warlock spells here too, and that means Counterspell, Dispel Magic, Fly, Fear, Hypnotic Pattern, all amazing, none of which I'd plan on using in combat necessarily, so go ahead and pick your favorites. No, I wouldn't plan on switching from Hex to Spirit Shroud here. I wish I could, because it does more damage, a d8 per hit instead of a d6, and it scales too, unlike Hex. But, but also because you cast it on yourself, so wouldn't have to switch it from target to target with a bonus action every time your current target died, right? Unfortunately, with Spirit Shroud, it only works on enemies that are within 10 feet of us, and we, of course, hope to have the enemy about 100 feet from us by the time we're done with them on our turn. So, for our level 13 damage report, we've had some nice increases since last check. Most notably, we've added a third beam of Eldritch Blast every time we fire it, which means we'd get nine of them off during our Nova round now. We've also bumped our Charisma modifier twice, capping it, and picked up some fun defensive support, utility, and control features along the way. And so, Against an enemy with a 10 armor class here, we would on average during our Nova round do 158 damage. And against an enemy with a 17 armor class, it would be 125 damage. And interestingly, you'd be better off with advantage from darkness and devil sight than you would with the extra d6 of damage from hex at an enemy AC as low as 17 and higher. And at character level 13, a 17 is like middling enemy AC at best, if not kind of on the low end, I think. I mean, I guess this isn't Pathfinder. I need to keep that in mind, but still. So yeah, hopefully your team won't be so annoyed with you using darkness if you're putting it on an enemy and then throwing them 90 feet away from you, assuming you've got the space to launch them that far, I suppose. Now, compared to other Nova builds that I've done to date at this level, we're kind of more firmly in like the upper end of tier three, but we're still living our best catapult life, replete with a healthy heaping of utility and support capabilities in our tool belt as well. At level 14, we would be a Warlock 6, and that means we get Elemental Gift, and this is honestly one of the main reasons I wanted to stay with Warlock for this build, because Elemental Gift is amazing, and it makes all other level 6 Warlock features look lame by comparison. You get Flight, and not just some kind of dumb glorified jump flight like some classes get. Proficiency bonus times per day, as a bonus action, you have a 30-foot fly speed for 10 minutes, including hover. So strong and so useful. Oh, and I almost forgot that as a Dao Genie, we also now have resistance to bludgeoning damage, which, by the way, is the most common form of enemy damage in all of D&D 5e, last time I checked anyway. So yeah, Genie Locks are amazing, and Dao Genie Locks are especially amazing. At level 15, we would be a Warlock 7, and that means we get 4th level spells. We could take Banishment for some fantastic single target control, Dimension Door for some really amazing teleportation for us and a friend, if we want, and if they wanted, I suppose. But the one I'll say we really kind of have to get here is Shadow of Moil, since 
Shadow of Moil makes us heavily obscured, which means that our enemies can't see us without some sort of special sense to see through heavily obscured areas anyway, meaning that we really only had to deal with the darkness and devil sight thing for a couple of levels. Hopefully it wasn't too painful. Shadow of Moil also does a little damage to enemies within 10 feet who manage to hit us with an attack, which will be harder for most of them to do since they'd have disadvantage, on those attacks if they couldn't see us, and it gives us resistance to radiant damage as well. So yeah, it's a really, really fantastic spell. We also get a fourth invocation at this point, and I think first off I'd probably swap out the Devil Sight invocation for something else, now that we don't need to be casting darkness in combat, unless there was some other strategic advantageous reason to be doing so, I suppose. And yeah, that means that we can now pick up two new invocations at this level. I'd for sure take Eldritch mind which gives us advantage on our concentration checks and so yeah with constitution saving throw proficiency and advantage on concentration checks we should pretty much never be dropping concentration except for in rare instances and that's great other than that for the second invocation I'm just gonna say pick your favorite I'd probably be focusing on utility or defense Tome of Levistus is a favorite of mine for like a break glass in case of emergency option where you're about to go unconscious and you can just encase yourself in a wall of ice. It's kind of cool. But Grasp of Hadar might be better, especially for this build. It lets you pull with an Eldritch Blast once on a turn only instead of push, right? And you really never know when for some reason you might want to bring an enemy closer to you instead of push them away. Maybe they're on like the opposite side of a cliff or something. Or, yeah, if you're in a low-ceilinged room and you're using spike growth for your concentration, right? Better cheese grating technique. <laughs> At level 16, we would be a Warlock 8, and that means we get another ability score increase or feat. And, yeah, I'd probably be focusing here on something to shore up our defenses. Resilient Wisdom might be my first choice for better wisdom saving throws, but tough for more hit points or just even raising our constitution might not be a bad choice either for both a little more HP, but also better constitution saves, concentration checks, and yeah, even a tougher DC for our enemies trying to save against our stone rune charm. Since, in case you forgot, the rune knight's DC is based on their constitution modifier, actually. And then finally for us, at level 17, we would be a warlock 9, and that means we get 5th level warlock spells. And while Hold Monster and Synaptic Static and others are all wonderful and potentially powerful and useful, the only spell I would want to say we should consider switching to for our concentration at this point is actually, yeah, Spirit Shroud. It's kind of lame because to get all that we can out of Spirit Shroud, it sort of breaks the whole character concept, but the fact that as a fifth level spell, Spirit Shroud would do 2d8 damage per hit means it would do slightly more than the 2d6 damage we get from Hex and then launching an enemy 10 feet into the air with each hit, right? And that's a real shame because launching an enemy a total of what would be 115 feet into the air is just so much cooler and more hilarious. I think fall damage might need a buff in D&D. But yeah, if you're using Spirit Shroud, you have to keep them within 10 feet of you, right? Then again, Shadow of Moil will be better than either of them at a certain armor class, so you might just decide to go that route regardless with your concentration. 
especially thanks to the defensive buffs that Spirit Shroud can potentially give you as well. We do get a fifth invocation here as well, and I'm just again gonna say PYF. There's lots of useful and fun options, none of which are really gonna do anything for us in our Nova round, so knock yourself out, have fun. Best and most importantly of all probably is that at level 17, yes, our Eldritch Blast scales once again for the final time up to four beams when we cast it. For a grand total of 12 beams we'd be firing during our Nova round. And so, for our final damage report, since last check, we've mostly been picking up quality of life, utility, support, and defensive capabilities. Though at most enemy ACs actually at this point, the numbers say to use Spirit Shroud and not be launching our enemies up, up, and away. Which is kind of a shame and not something that you necessarily have to do. Um, but yeah, the biggest increase actually comes from getting Eldritch Blast to four beams, which is a 33% increase to our beams. And so, Against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would on average do 248 damage, and against enemies with an 18 armor class, during our Nova round, we would do 180 damage on average. And compared to other burst damage builds that I've done to date, that actually brings us all the way up to like the middle of the pack for tier 2 here at this level. So what does it all mean? Let's break it down in the final thoughts. The tier score for this build, if you take the enemy damage that we calculated at each enemy armor class at each of the four damage reports and just average those all into one big number, we end up with a 101, which puts them right near the top of tier three. And no, that's not amazing, but it's really not bad. But the reality is, I feel like I've kind of undersold how potent this tactic of launching your enemy could really be in combat. I mean, sure, doing a bunch of big bursty Nova damage in a round is great, but doing a bunch of big bursty Nova damage and landing an enemy anywhere from 30 to 100 feet away from where they started, depending on our level, I mean, most enemies have a move speed of 30 feet. So at early levels, they land prone, use half their move speed to stand, then have to dash to get back to where they started, right? Meaning you've hurt them pretty bad, if not killed them outright, but then also essentially made them waste an entire turn just to get back into combat. And by late game for this character, forget about it. They might land 110 feet away and just be like, screw this, I'm going home. <laughs> if not, it's gonna take them two or three full turns to even get back into melee range, right? That's amazing. And I mean, even on non-Nova rounds, by mid-game, you're still going to be knocking them back far enough that they will have to waste at least one entire round just to get back into the fight every single round. Couple that with respectable sustained DPR and the value of this build really becomes apparent, I think. And that's not even mentioning all of the utility, control, defense, and support options we'd be bringing to the table, at least by kind of mid-level. You know, it just makes me feel like this build has the potential to be a major powerhouse. So long as you are fighting somewhere that gave you enough space to do what we want to do with it, right? So yes, as with all characters, I would for sure talk this one over with my DM before jumping into their campaign to see if they would be willing to share with us how often we might expect to be fighting 
outside, or at least in really big rooms, right? If you're doing a big, huge dungeon crawl with tight corridors and small caverns, this build might not be the best choice to bring to the table. But in a campaign where it's really allowed to shine, it's going to freaking shine. Not to mention be so much fun and so hilarious. So anyway, that's the build for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. But more importantly, I hope you know how much I love you because I truly do. Thank you so much for all that you do for me, for this channel. I'm incredibly grateful for you. I hope that you have a great day and a fantastic week. I hope that you be good and kind and happy and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Okay, hmm, focus, 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 no, come on, yeah, there you go, there you go, do we keep the focus, that's the question, all right, today I'm trying out a new teleprompter, it's got a remote, and uh, we'll see how it goes, hopefully it'll keep me from doing this all the time, and having to edit quite so much, which I know annoys some of you, and it definitely takes a lot of my time, so we'll see. Oh, baby, wait, wait. I never had a chance to love you. Wait, wait. If only our love could show you. Wait, wait. I never want to be without you. Wait, wait. No, I never had a chance to love you Now I only want to say I love you One more time <laughs> Oh, my very first hairband glam rock love was White Lion I don't know about I don't know about the rest of you. Not not as well known uh, amongst the um, hair metal bands of the '80s, but yeah, definitely my my first favorite. Oh, there's like a little fly again. <laughs> okay, that's better, but now it's a little too slow. Oh, I hadn't even stopped recording. <laughs> oh boy. And thus, against enemy. <laughs> I have this plant that I love, but it seems to produce about one fruit fly per day. <sighs> and I feel bad about it, but I'm just constantly killing fruit flies now. You know what's funny is this new camera is like a wide angle lens. It's not really bad, but slightly wide angle, so you kind of get a fisheye effect, right? And I've actually... <laughs> If you could see this live, I've I've rotated the 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 pictures on the end here slightly so that they look straight like along the top, but they're actually crooked and it kind of drives me crazy when I'm just sitting in my office, but I don't want to keep adjusting it every single time I go sit down and record, so I just leave them crooked. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you've been talking for 20 minutes and realize that you forgot to push the record button? I do. I have a very noisy neighbor who's on a 
very excited phone call, it sounds like right now. I don't think the mic is picking it up. I hope not. But um, it's definitely distracting. Come in. Hey, man. Hey, whoa. I'm just recording. Oh, I didn't stop recording. Yeah. You want to say hi? I'll put you in the outtakes. Okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> say hi. Say hi to Mr. Rogers. Hey. We're going, to, we're going to lunch. Oh, that's cool. Don't even say that because that's not true. Um, gosh, I'm doing a lot, a lot fewer don't even say that's now that I've got this teleprompter and I'm ad-libbing a little less. <laughs> sorry, not sorry.